0: Hello and welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit podcast network, where we are dedicated to effective thinking for potent exercise. Today is a production that is not your typical Think Fit, Be Fit episode. This is the Fitness for Consumption premiere episode, uh, co-hosted by Gregory Gordon and Dr. Paul Juris. You can expect a new perspective on fitness, something you need to know before you attack your fitness programs, something that can enhance every type of exercise that you do. And that is learning about why we move from a human movement perspective, a movement science perspective. I encourage you to follow both of us at thinkfitbefit underscore podcast and their instagram channel at fitness for consumption and that is for spelled out f-o-r consumption we are excited to evolve and help you grow with the podcast and grow in your fitness process on your journey to health longevity and just finding more reasons and more connections to exercise and with your exercise. Have a great week and I look forward to hearing your questions and what you learned from this podcast. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to Fitness for Consumption. This is a podcast with a very unique view on all things related to fitness. You know, if you're like most of us, you're a sponge for information, right? You gather up all the insights you can and you try to use that for yourself and for your clients. And you know what? There's no shortage of information either. You know, the truth is, we're inundated with people telling us what to do or what not to do. We hear about what's good and what's bad things we should use. And by the way, there are things you should never use. Wait, never? Incidentally, words like never or even always don't exist in my lexicon. And then, of course, there's conventional wisdom. You know what that is. It's a settled fact that everyone else subscribes to, and you'd better subscribe to it, too. Well, let me tell you, there was a time in history when nearly everyone on the planet thought the sun revolved around the earth. So much for conventional wisdom. Just because everyone in the world thinks something's true, that doesn't make it true. Eventually, you've got to ask the question, what's right for me or what's right for my clients? Does anyone really have an answer to this? Yes, there's an answer, but it's not what you think it is. Because the answer to your question is, It depends it all depends on how you're looking at something you know from one point of view you may think that something doesn't make any sense but from a different point of view it may actually make a lot of sense okay so where does that leave you well for starters you could probably hit the pause button on trying to learn more stuff I'm sure you already know enough to get you where you want to go Now, the real magic is to try and see what you think you already know from as many points of view as you can. That way, the question isn't about whether you should be doing something, but about how you should be doing it. I'm Dr. Paul Juris, kinesiologist, research scientist, performance coach, author, and innovator. I'm here with my co-host, motor learning and clinical specialist, Gregory Gordon. Together, we have over 50 years of practical and scientific experience in things relating to fitness, performance, and health. Join us as we share our stories and experiences and take a deep dive into essential fitness concepts and some highly complex issues too. Don't worry, we promise to keep it practical. And you know what else we promise? We're not here to tell you what to think or what to do. There's enough of that going around. We're here to offer you a different perspective on fitness based on something called human movement science. Spend some time with us and you'll think more critically about what people are telling you. You'll sort through it all and understand it more completely and you'll become self-empowered to make better decisions for you or for those with whom you're working. Are you ready? Let's get started. Alright, welcome to Fitness for Consumption. I'm Paul Juris, I'm your chief contrarian. What that means is I like to ask questions, I like to challenge my own assumptions, and I especially love to challenge conventional wisdom. I'm probably going to do a lot of that in our podcast, starting with today. But before I do, I'd like to introduce my co-host, friend, and
2: colleague, Gregory Gordon. Gigi? Hello. Thank you for the introduction, PJ. So my name is Gregory Gordon, although I go by Gigi to friends, so feel free to refer to me as GG in any future correspondences. And I have been a personal trainer, neuromuscular specialist, and continuing education provider in the fitness industry for the past 20 years or so, and together with my mentor and co-host Paul Juris, we're really excited to bring you a podcast about fitness, but through the lens of human movement science. Absolutely.
1: So what are we doing today, Gigi?
2: Well, I think we're gonna begin at the beginning and we're gonna, you know, take this novel idea and say, look, fitness is probably one of the most ubiquitous terms on the planet at this point. But it's one of those terms that if I say to you, what is fitness, if I go to a cocktail party and ask someone, hey, what is fitness? I'm gonna get ten different answers from ten different people.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And so with that, you know, let's talk a little bit about the themes we're gonna cover. And then we can dive right into it. The nature of fitness, you just introduced that. And I think it's absolutely right. Is like People see fitness so many different ways. So mm-hmm. we'll get into that idea. We're going to sort of take that and look at the notion of movement and why we move. Because that really informs us about what fitness is. And then we'll talk about adaptation. So how do we adapt? How do our bodies adapt? What is it that's changing as we do things? And then ultimately, we want to talk about something that we call a fitness ecosystem, mm-hmm. about not getting locked into a single approach, but maybe looking at things with a slightly broader lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're going to cover today. And I think taking off where you began, let's talk about this thing, this fitness thing. Because you know if you look over the years, so many trends have come and gone. So many different applications, things that attract people, whether it's group fitness or boutique fitness or functional training or high intensity training, there are all these trends that emerge and people sort of gravitate towards one or two or, of those things. And, you know, why is that? Like, why do people get so fixated on some singular approach to it?
2: So my perspective is that a lot of it just stems from confusion. So, look, we're all inundated with fitness marketing. Uh, That's true. There's billions of dollars spent on it. You can't watch TV for five minutes without getting some commercial for a fitness product, uh, you know, a dietary supplement related to fitness. So And there's very contradictory messages. So on one hand, look, 90% of people that approach fitness want to lose a little bit of weight. And it could be anywhere from 10 pounds to, you know, hundreds of pounds potentially, but on one... So a lot of the marketing is then geared towards saying, hey, you may be a little overweight, maybe your joints are hurting a little bit, you're not moving so much, so look don't worry about it. Something is better than nothing, which I totally agree with, by the way. If mm-hmm. you're doing nothing, something is definitely better. But hey, buy this watch, buy this pedometer, buy this step counter. And all you need to do is walk a you know, couple thousand steps a day and you're going to reach all your goals. And look, again, it's that's if you're doing nothing, that is definitely better. But I think that's also setting the bar pretty low for what a lot of someone that's relatively healthy could accomplish. And then on the other end of the spectrum, to the same exact people, we're saying, hey, the same exact thing, hey, you're a little overweight, your joints are hurting, you're not moving so much. Look, what you should do is you need to go to zero to a 1,000. So you need to do P90X, you need to do CrossFit, you need to do Beast Body, you need to do total, what's that program, total insanity or something. Now it's like, he's got a new one, insanity, like triple yeah. insanity. Yeah, like you've got it, you're not doing anything. And on the surface... Someone thinks, yeah, they're right. I haven't been doing anything. I've got to now pump it up to triple insanity. And look, as we know, if you look at like you and I, if you look at any of the studies that come from this stuff, for some people that works really well, and for a large majority of people, they end up getting injured. And and so, but the marketing and the confusion and what we see happening in the rest of the world now is that when there's not clarity, it really helps to lead to binary polarized thinking. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from, that people just latch on to this one thing because they have one singular experience with it. And then, you know, it's something that they really cling to because there's not clear understanding of, of exercise and fitness and what might be truly appropriate for them.
1: Yeah, I mean I I think that the messages are very confusing cuz you're right, most people just want to lose weight and look good. I even people who say, "Well, I want to get into functional training." Ultimately, they're still looking at themselves in the mirror mm-hmm. and they want they want to look good. They're just doing it through a different methodology, so to speak. You know, some people are are interested in strength training and I know people that get into the gym and all they want to do is lift heavy weights and they want to bulk up and So, there's that crowd. And, you know, some people want to be free of pain. Like you said, your joints hurt. So, Mm -hmm. they don't want to hurt. They don't want to ache. Uh, There are performance minded people that they play recreational sports or even more competitive Mm -hmm. levels and they want to do that. Of course, there's the whole functional thing. And, you know, some of those things are driven by personal interests. Some of those things are driven by people in the industry, like you just suggested, telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. now they're telling them 10 different things to do and they have to try to do one of those things. And so they do. And so people may gravitate towards yoga or they gravitate toward Pilates. You know, They've learned about having so much core stability and they need to develop that. So they go in one direction. So there's this industry dogma that kind of pushes people in different directions. And as a result, that's what they end up doing. So mm-hmm. it becomes their... Modality becomes their choice, and you know what? I have to say honestly that doing anything, as you said, doing anything is great, mm-hmm. doing something is good. All of those things by themselves have
2: benefit, mm-hmm.
1: but I think they also are limited, don't you think?
2: Uh, I do think so. And look, for a very small percentage of the pot, if you're a professional athlete, let's say you're an Olympic lifter, so look, it. If most of your time in exercise is going to be very focused towards working on the skills that you need to be a world-class Olympic lifter. But for most mm-hmm. of us, if all I'm doing is lifting weights, then I'm not developing you know, a reasonable aerobic base. I'm not developing as much endurance as I could be for just general all-around health and fitness, with which most of us are after. Or if I'm only doing something like yoga – you know, maybe I'm not developing my strength to the capacity that it could be.
1: Right. Or if I'm doing Pilates, maybe I'm not really losing weight. Or if mm-hmm. I'm doing, um, you know, strength training and I'm mostly just lifting, as you say, am I building my cardio capability? Am I building my endurance? So each one of these things by itself may be good for, for the thing that you're doing. Now, there are some exceptions when you get into stuff like CrossFit, And some of these high-intensity training programs that combine strength training and cardio. So that's beginning to pull everything together. Mm -hmm. But even those things have some limitations because they're formulaic, right? So Mm -hmm. they apply a certain formula, and it doesn't necessarily allow you to develop in other areas. And so the point that I'm trying to make here is that it's great that people do something, but I think people end up with a very limited view, limited scope, on what fitness is. And this these practices tend to define fitness for them, right? That's the definition of fitness. And I think it's a limited definition. And I think what we need to do is take a more holistic view of this and pull back a little bit and redefine fitness, which could then give us a different view, a different approach to what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I would like to pause it. That fitness has a different definition. And my definition of fitness is that it's a measure of how well or effectively we move. That's my definition of fitness. How well are you moving? How effectively are you moving? And if you can say in whatever it is you're doing, that you're doing it well, then you are fit to do that.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I love that idea because another thing, again, if we were back to this cocktail party and we went around the table asking people what their definition of fitness is, I think a lot of people would have something to the effect of lean, low body fat, shredded, ripped, you know, these types of adjectives. And so look, there's not everybody, even if you follow a really rigid diet and exercise all the time, just genetically, not everybody's going to be able to be a cover model on Shape Magazine or Men's Fitness, but everybody has a baseline for how well they move. And a big part of this podcast is that we're going to share with you everything, the, the collective 50 years we've been doing this, all the things we've learned to at any age, because obviously we know there's some age-related um, you know, deterioration of our, of our ability to move, but at, at wherever you are in your, in your movement spectrum, you have a baseline. And there's a bunch of things we can do to figure out how to get you to either maintain or move a little bit better. And so when fitness is really an index of how well you move, to me, that applies to absolutely everybody.
1: Yeah, and it applies to almost everything. And, you know, just to give it a practical example, if you're a runner and you're talking about your fitness, it's how well are you moving while you're running? And Mm -hmm. how do we measure how well you're moving? It's how fast you're running how far are you going right so how long can you do it what's interesting is that a lot of people will look at their heart rate and they say Mm -hmm. well what's my heart rate while i'm doing it and i'm thinking well what difference does that make if you're a marathon runner are you judging your performance by your heart rate or are you looking at the time that it took you to run the distance 26.2 right so Mm -hmm. it's the movement itself that is allowing you to achieve that goal, achieve that time. If you're on a Pilates reformer, how well are you controlling the movement of this device and your body position on it? It's how well you're moving, even if you want to lose weight. If weight loss is your goal, if you're overweight, if you're significantly overweight, that's going to affect the way you move. Mm -hmm. So looking at fitness from the perspective of effective motion allows us to take a much more broad view because then the question becomes, what do we need to do in order to move better? And I think to answer that question, we have to ask another question. And why do we move in the first place? Right? Not how are we moving? Because by the way, when I talk to personal trainers, that's all they want to do is tell people how to move. Right. Um, Forget about that for a second. Why are we moving? And if we understand why we're moving, then we can start to look at, well, how do we do it better, and how do we cause a change in our body for that? Okay, so the question is, why do we move?
2: Well... Here's maybe an overly obvious answer, but we move to eat to survive. So, eating, if we don't eat, we won't sustain life. So, I would say primarily that one of the reasons we move is to eat.
1: Yeah, it's survival is an interesting idea because it gets down to like the real fundamental reason we have to move. Yeah. And eating is a nice, simple example. We have to get food into our mouths or we're drinking. Coffee, and we have this cup, and we have to get it to our mouth so that we can drink it. So, in a fundamental sense, we've got a problem to solve. So, you know, we could take the idea of a problem. The problem with eating is how do I get Mm -hmm. the food to my mouth? How do I get the beverage to my mouth? We could take this fundamental concept and apply it to anything in fitness, to any exercise, to any activity that. When we want to do something, we have to solve a problem. And so we move so that we can solve problems, right? Right. So, you know, maybe what we should do is we should take a deeper look at what problems are so that we can understand from a fitness point of view, if we're solving problems, what does it really mean? And how does that affect our fitness? uh, And how can we put this whole thing together?
2: Yeah, I like that. And also because I think it helps break down the walls between thinking that yoga could be so different than resistance training, that they're totally different concepts. Really, they're all just problems to be solved. And they're they're physical problems to be solved that have a, a cognitive basis too. But so let's look at something really simple like a bench press. So for those that might not know, but I think everyone's familiar with the bench press, there's a bench, you're laying on your back, there's a bar hovering above your head. That's hooked on a, a little lip of a little metal lip. And then the task is to bring the bar down towards your chest and then to push the bar back up. And you do a certain amount of reps until you re-rack the bar on this on the, the, the hooks for the
1: bar. So, yeah, I agree. And that's an interesting place to start because a bench press is a simple thing. So you use the word task and that's the very first part of a problem. The problem is... This task that we have to do in, in the case of a bench press, the task is to move the bar up and down and then mm-hmm. to rack it and unrack it and rack it. So that's the task. Anything that we can think of in fitness can have an implied task, right? So even if I'm running, what's the task? The task is to run a certain distance or to move my body, really displace my body a certain distance over a certain period of time what is mm-hmm. like the task how would you define the task for a, like a kettlebell swing for example
2: so the task would be you'd have to grab this implement the kettlebell and then you would have to well, the way they would typically teach it is to bend your knees as you go towards the ground and then you straighten up and you bring this bell out in front of your body. So you sort of swing the bell forward and you control it coming back and then you go back down again. So you're, you're bringing your body up and down as you're extending this kettlebell from and away from your body. So basically, though, the,
1: the task of a kettlebell swing is to start with the kettlebell somewhere between your legs, and swing it up and forward until it's in front of you about level with your shoulders, and then mm-hmm. return and do it repeatedly. So that's the task of a kettlebell swing. The task of a curl-up is to be able to lift your trunk up off the ground you know, while flexing the spine until you reach a certain point in space. That's mm-hmm. the task. So everything w- that we do in fitness is a task and has a mm-hmm. task. But I I do want to point out one thing, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in future episodes. And I think sometimes trainers and people lose sight of this, is that there are movements that are designed to achieve a task. So with the bench press, the goal is to move in a way that allows me to get this bar going to different points in space. So the Mm -hmm. movement is intended to solve that task problem. But there are also movements that are themselves the task. So right. we sometimes confuse that, right? So if I'm diving and somebody's looking at me diving, that movement is not solving some external objective. It is the objective, right? right? So we, we need people to understand, this, especially when we start looking at evaluating movement and understanding how fitness works, what are we trying to do? Is the task the movement itself? Or is the task something in our environment that we're trying to achieve?
2: Right. And, you know, either way, they're both problems to be solved. But our bandwidth of how we achieve the motions can be different depending on either of those situations. So if we're focused on the movement itself is the task is the goal, then, you know, our bandwidth for what we would accept in terms of movements outside of a, of a certain form, you know, would probably be a bit stricter than things that we'd look at inside of a typical fitness setting in a gym.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And again, we're going to cover that in depth later, but mm-hmm. it's something that's really smart to bring up now because we lose sight of those things. So, all right, so we've established that there's a task. Now, what's the next part of the problem? Let's go back to your bench press. We know mm-hmm. the task is to get the bar off the hooks, down to the chest, up in the air, eventually back to the hooks. What's the next part of the problem?
2: So uh, there are just what I would, we can call biomechanics or just Newtonian-based physics that are part of the problem. So the bar has a certain amount of load. Uh, I, I'm moving it in a certain amount of space within a gym. And so those are parts of the problem that I have to figure out in order to do this task.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we have this bar and we need to move it up and down, but it doesn't live in a vacuum. So we're not moving this thing in in outer space. We're moving this thing <laughs> on our planet. You know, and I used to joke with trainers all the time. You're, we're looking at a squat and we, we talk about squats being functional exercises. And I said, well, what if you were to do the squat on the moon? I mean, the, the gravity on the moon is one-sixth of gravity on the Earth. And so the load that you would be experiencing, even if it says the same thing, if the plate's 45 pounds on each side, it's not 45 pounds a load on the moon. It's a sixth of that. So mm-hmm. if you were to come back to the Earth and do it, well, now it's suddenly very much heavier and it's not as easily done. So, yeah, we have a bench press, and we know what the task is. But part of the problem, part of these constraints, that's what we refer to, constraints, is that I have to overcome the physics of this object. It has mass. It has inertia. Inertia is a resistance to change, which means if it's stationary, it doesn't want to move. And if it's moving, it doesn't want to stop moving. So Mm -hmm. we have to apply force, to this object in order to accelerate it, in order to get it moving. And when it's moving, like I said, it's got momentum, inertia. So mm-hmm. does gravity help us slow it down? If we're moving against gravity, yes. But if that object is moving downward in gravity, now we have a lot of work to do to try to get it to slow down. So we've got these physical characteristics that apply to all objects, even ourselves, if we're running, we have our body mass and we have to be able to move that body mass through space. That requires part of a solution that involves force. But the problem is overcoming mass. So when you start to think about how these problems, the puzzle pieces of these problems and how they mm-hmm. start coming together, there's a task, there are physical principles, Newtonian physics and then something else that you said a moment ago, which, which is spot on, is that it exists in space. So there's this s- configuration of the space around us, which is going to create more problems for us potentially, right?
2: Right. Yeah. So something I was just thinking about is that, and I, it's something I'm wondering if a lot of people listening that have recently invested in maybe some home gym equipment are experiencing as well. So when I was growing up, my parents, for whatever reason, bought a treadmill sometime in the 80s. And if you're used to uh, a commercial treadmill, a commercial treadmill is a certain amount of width, a certain amount of length. And oftentimes when you buy home gym equipment, it's not nearly the same size and certainly not the same quality construction of a commercial piece. So the treadmill we had in our house was maybe half the width of a commercial treadmill. So if you were not paying attention, if you were just kind of listening to music and zoning out, you would bang into the side of the bar. And so, look, it's not that you would necessarily get injured per se, but it's just something that you have to deal with. And as people are getting, maybe getting accustomed to uh, some home gym equipment, they may feel a little bit of a difference running on a commercial treadmill versus a home treadmill. Just the dimensions can be very different.
1: And and that can affect the way you move. Absolutely. It's part yep. of the problem. In another example, using treadmills, which is an interesting way of looking at this, if you're running on a traditional commercial treadmill in the gym, we know that the deck is flat, but then you go to something like a woodway curve. And this is not meant to be disparaging by any stretch of the imagination, but the curve is a curve. And the interesting part of that is my observations in watching people run on the curve is because of the curve nature of the deck, it changes the space within which we're running. So as we would normally take a step on a flat surface, now all of a sudden the space is curving up in front of us and Mm -hmm. that affects the way we run. So when you watch people running, On a woodway curve or similar, not just woodway, any of those curved Mm -hmm. treadmill decks, you can see that their gait changes. So that spatial configuration of the treadmill changes the way we move because it has a different problem associated with it. Mm -hmm. And space affects a lot of things. The kettlebell swing, we spoke about that. How large is the kettlebell? What's the diameter of the kettlebell? Because when you're holding it between your legs, if it's a really big kettlebell and you're swinging it, it can hit you. So it it affects how you
2: have to move. Also, where are you doing it? Are you in a crowded gym? Are you in your home? You know, that can affect also the extent of how you're going to swing that kettlebell.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If somebody's standing next to you, then it changes the problem that you have to solve. So these problems become more and more complex. If you're doing... A dumbbell curl, which is a relatively simple exercise, if the mm-hmm. dumbbell is on a rack, then the space configuration of that dumbbell in the rack changes the problem. So yep. what, what it leads me to think about in terms of what these problems are is that even the most simple exercises have significant problems to be solved. And the dumbbell curl is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. We take it for granted. We say, oh, okay, do a dumbbell curl. But we often don't think about what's involved in that particular problem,
2: right? Absolutely.
1: So we need to understand what is the task of the dumbbell curl, The, the challenge, the problem is that I have to lift this thing. By the way, part of the exercise is getting it off the rack. Right. Right? It's not just once you have it in your hand and you lift it, part of the exercise is to remove it from where it's
2: sitting. Yeah, not to mention if it's on the first tier or the bottom tier of a dumbbell rack.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, when I'm working with people and I when I give someone an exercise to do, I'm not a concierge, right? I'm creating <laughs> a program for somebody. So I'm not going and getting their weights for them. Part of the exercise is that somebody's gotta go grab their weights. That's part of the problem. So yeah, this the privilege
2: of having a doctorate. You you get to tell people. I get to to tell people
1: people that, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not there yet. I'm not doing this for you, right? I'm not changing the pin for you. I'm not setting the the machine for for you. you. That's for you to do. I'm going to put this whole plan together. But so, yeah, so the interesting thing is you have a dumbbell and it's got a handle and the handle has a certain diameter. So your hand has to fit around that handle. Now, most people do. So it's part Mm -hmm. of the problem. It's not a major part of the problem, but it's a part of the problem. It becomes more major when now you got to lift it off the rack. So Mm -hmm. now it has this mass. You have to overcome the mass. There's the space around it defined by the rack and the other dumbbells. You have to deal with that. You have to lift the thing up and get it to a position that you can actually start the exercise. So Mm -hmm. that's still part of the task and the Newtonian properties of the weight. You have to be able to move this thing through space so it's got load and inertia. And then I have to be able to get it to a point in space so the target, the endpoint, is part of the problem. So even a simple dumbbell curl can pose a significant problem for someone to solve. And so then the question is, okay, everything is a problem. So what do we need to be able to do to solve it? And that, Gigi, kind of brings us to the heart of the matter. How we solve these problems and the changes that occur over time are really what fitness is all about. Absolutely. You know, and more importantly, the approach we take and the choices we make have a major impact on our state of fitness. So that's what we need to talk about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But before we do that, I just want Mm -hmm. to add one more little piece to the puzzle. Okay, so we've already identified that exercise is uh problem solving, and right, two yeah. of the problems that we need to solve we've we've identified as mass, and one of them being space the the space in which we do it. but there's another aspect that we haven't covered yet, which is timing, and so okay. Whether uh, I'm doing an exercise very quickly, whether I'm doing a sporting movement where I've got to use some agility and and cut, whether I'm walking down a street or something and having to avoid, uh, you know, people running into me, or objects
1: moving in space, so there's a timing element there. Absolutely, uh,
2: there's a timing component as well. But I think what would be best is that when we get into specific skill acquisition. And we talk about some of these concepts like open and closed skills. We'll talk more about the timing component then.
1: Yeah, I think timing is something that is related to skill. And we are going to talk about that uh, in future episodes. What we really want to get into here is, you know, stick with this idea of fitness, which is so important to this discussion specifically and what comprises fitness and how we look at fitness. But you know what, we're going to save that for our next episode, which we'll call the fitness ecosystem. Um, So with that, thanks everybody for listening to our perspective on fitness. And we look forward to continuing this discussion and offering you more fitness for consumption. So bye, everybody. Bye.